Welcome back to the Behind the Curtain series on the Web.com podcast. This week, Frazier jumps to the other side of the desk. David Wilson, Batman's owner, has recently taken the team in a completely foreign direction following almost 10 years of dominance. As Frazier enters his first true rebuild, he discusses what it took to become one of the faces of Web offers insights into trades, IDP philosophy, and team-building strategy, and looks ahead to what the next era in the franchise will look like. Web.com podcast, the Behind the Curtain series is continuing here on the Web.com podcast. And with me as a guest this week, I'm flying solo this week. Caleb set me up to fail, and I'm going to prove him wrong. This is my 60 minutes. Uh, I don't even, I can't think of the word. I, I fuck this dude fuck you caleb i hate this <laughs> you know our ex our expectations were low for caleb but holy fuck <laughs> i'm probably going to be doing my own one-on-one here in a couple weeks with you so we'll see who does it better right and you know we just signed him to this contract and i'm already looking at the dead cap number because i'm just ready to be done with it but um anyway moving forward yes it is frazier's time to shine on behind the curtain a web.com legend himself pod squad member and co-commissioner frazier your resume speaks for itself but we're gonna have an interesting conversation here on behind the curtain this was coming at the perfect time for your team Mm, yeah big changes happening um Excited for 2021 and beyond. (laughs) Oh, I'm ready. I'm ready. So, uh, well, let's just start. Let's just start big picture because I Mm -hmm. think we're going to be doing a lot of big picture on this. Um, Yeah. You're obviously a a household name, if you will, in web. You have had a dominant team. You have won multiple championships. You have owned the pack five um up until this last season for many years and it seemed like for about the last two years there was this sort of you could see the end it wasn't over you were still winning you're still a playoff team but the the end was in sight Mm -hmm. Um, and it kind of reflected in some of the moves that you've made and we'll talk about a lot of those here but before we get into anything specific, I just want to get your take on the last two or so years, how it's felt. You kind of coined this Frasier strategy uh, and maybe like to explore that. But, but just take us through um, what led up to where you're at right now. Yeah, the last couple of years, I almost feel like I'm a year or two ahead of your team. And you're probably already getting a little bit of this, but when you have this contending team and you kind of just want to keep it rolling, um, you make trades that 
maybe don't aren't the best for the future and all of a sudden your pick cupboard just gets a little bit bare so I feel like I had this team the last two years that was good enough where I like owed it to it to kind of go in and try and win I had these good starts like you mentioned where I get myself to where I can get into the playoffs and maybe make some little backwards trades almost but yeah when you get that contending team you're kind of just trying to do what you can to win and you kind of lose track of like how many picks you're trading because you're constantly trying to keep track of these keep up with these teams like Dave the pop-up and Tim those first couple years where they kind of come up and you're in an arms race with a team that's got Kamara and CMC and you're like god I need to go out and do something quick and that's how you end up giving up first for T.Y. Hilton and all of a sudden you have this team that you miss on a couple couple of your first rounders that you actually kept and the depth is not there and it's yeah that's it's tough contending contending in dynasty where you end it's just tough to know when to do things yeah well and i mean it it is an interesting point because it's you know it's clear that your team's kind of had a different vibe over the last couple seasons but that didn't change the fact that you were making the postseason and i think that's something where like i look at your situation i mean you've never had a losing season in web even in your in 2013 when you kicked things off um you know that's your you didn't have you didn't make the playoffs you were seven and seven and then all of a sudden you ripped off this run starting with 14 and 0 and you know culminating into two championships that sort of longevity, I feel like, is really impressive, especially considering the fact that you've gone through sort of like numerous phase shifts in your team. Like the yeah. identity has changed along the way and you've you've managed to keep it together. So I guess uh, another sort of big picture question is, you know, what what does that look like to you? How do you how do you go about that? What is the strategy in maintaining a team that can compete for a title for nearly 10 years? I think it starts like everyone preaches running backs, but I honestly think that started with Julio. I think he was kind of the base throughout that entire thing. And once you get that base in, I mean, we we were built upon Gronk, um, but Julio is basically the main piece in all of it. The rest of it was getting lucky sometimes. Like I, get lucky i pick up kittle on waivers to keep it going i trade it for Todd Gurley at the perfect time got got a little bit lucky there but i think you need that you need one base on your team which can be the quarterback which it wasn't really for me but it can be now like dan's got mahomes now he's going to be able to kind of probably string something like that together but i think you build on those long-term positions and you hope to make a few well-timed moves on some of the more volatile positions like running back. Um, So I think that's the key. That's what I'm going to try and focus on for this next one as well. I think my team's going to bottom out more this time, but I think that same strategy is going to be at the base. Yeah. And Dan is obviously an interesting case. You, you and Dan have, you know, this identity as teams that really have never, struggled like dan has obviously faced adversity that's well documented but he seems to always come back and be in the mix and that's kind of the same with you and so i think a lot of our you know a lot of teams in the league can look at your situations and just say like 
you know, God damn it. I made the playoffs one time <laughs> in the last seven years. Like, how do I do yeah. this? And I think it's just, it's really interesting when you get to look um, and especially like even for me personally, where it's like, I'm kind of, you know, riding this wave right now, I'm kind of entering that sort of territory. But like you said, I can see, I can see the end already. And it's like, how do you find that balance of, I want to keep this going versus, you know, I don't want to cripple myself with what you're saying, like just shelling out picks for Raheem Mostert and then imploding all of a sudden, like it never happened. Yeah, that was the thing that I think was different about where my team reached this point now is I feel like I always had a decent pick cupboard built up. And I think I finally just got to the point where I just had nothing left. I my team was pretty much just kind of stuck for this year. I traded my first for next year already. I mean, probably at least four teams where I'm like, this team's better than me this year. Um, if I make the playoffs, maybe I can win, but it didn't work out the last two years. So you just get to that point where you just kind of get yourself stuck unless you are hitting on those lucky like Kittle and girly things. But those things are getting harder and harder as people get better and better in web. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, trades is, I mean, that's a huge factor in sustaining success. And if you're able to pull off uh, trades that help you immensely, you're going to obviously benefit from that. And you mentioned the draft, you mentioned picks, and I'm, I'm just taking a look back. And I mean, leading up to the 2020 draft, I mean, you didn't have a first round pick in 2019. You picked Rashad Penny in 2018. You picked Mike Williams in 2017. Um, and it, it kind of just goes back to what Dan was tweeting about recently, which is that, you know, first-round picks are are highly coveted, as they should be, but, you know, it's, it's far from a, a given that you're going to get a difference maker in those picks. And so with, with, you know, bringing in guys like Mike Williams and Rashad Penny, you, you'd had enough going into 2020 and you Mm -hmm. went up and got your guy, CD lamb and one in, you know, what was one of the bigger draft, uh, move trades. You, you skied up the board all the way to three. Um, you know, what was it about CD that made you say, I got to get this guy? He he was just my guy. I loved watching him. Um, I didn't think I'd have a chance at getting him, which upset me. But then the draft happened, and that was kind of like CD drops a little bit. Uh, Clyde goes to the Chiefs, and all of a sudden it's at 1.03, and it's that's Tim's spot now. That's where I think CD's going to go with this, those two running backs. And Tim, I think, is just a lot more likely than a lot of other owners in web to trade some of those picks, especially where his team was at. So basically just saw an opportunity, got a deal on the table, and just ended up going and get getting my guy. I needed to start start a youth movement on wide receiver, and that was that was the beginning. It's nice. I think it's a good uh a good tale in, you know, going and getting your guy finding the opportunity to do it, paying what it takes to make it happen. And then, I mean, you see the rewards uh, with a guy who already looks like a bona fide top five dynasty receiver in the making. Um, so, I mean, you you go into 2020, and I mean, you're, you're coming off of 2019. 
um, where this whole idea of the Fraser strategy kind of really manifested itself. You had made some, you know, trades where you're trying to sustain yourself. You're trying to continue to compete. You go in, you win a playoff game in 2019. We meet in the title game, obviously. So, I mean, you're, you're still right there. You're, you know, you're, you're in the belt picture and you're coming into 2020 with the same sort of mentality that, you know, you are a championship contender. Um, but you had Dave, you had Dave, who was the hot pack five pick and rightfully so. So, uh, just as somebody who has, you know, kind of owned the pack five and been the face of the pack five, for so long. What was that experience like of of seeing Dave kind of rise up the ranks and then, you know, going into this season as sort of the the underdog almost for the championship? You know, I I think it was a little bit similar to Tim when he had his few runs. I think there was a few years where he was a trendy pick as well, so I was I was familiar with the feeling. Um I still enjoyed it. I like I kind of like I've liked being the underdog these past few years. It's it's more fun uh, than going into a year with just trading for AB and everyone thinking you're going to light the world on fire, and then you don't. I just like going out and putting up these reasonable point totals and just racking up wins while people get angry. Like, oh, Frazier, he's winning again <laughs> with 160. Goddamn him. Um, but, yeah. It was a little bit different because Dave finally delivered this year and took it to the to the championship or the Pac-5 championship, uh, and congratulations to him. So it, I did enjoy playing from the underdog role, though. Well, and but it's funny because it's like you go in as this underdog, like Dave is being you know universally chosen as a team that has never made the postseason as a Pac-5 favorite, um, and you know, you come into the season and you start seven and one. I mean, it's, it's just, it was to me, like you're saying, it was just a classic Frazier start where you're just racking up these wins. You know, you had some massive point totals, you had some down point totals. It was just a good blend of, you know, you're, you beat up on the big five and uh, I mean, you were pretty much locked and loaded for another playoff uh, spot by the midway point of the year it seemed like and so you started to make some moves you picked up kareem hunt um that was a big a big move um around that like trade deadline pre-trade deadline day yeah. and then obviously the dj Moore trade which we talked about with caleb as well but um you know the I guess more like those are two very different moves to me where it's like yeah. the Kareem hunt is like a very much I'm selling out. I want to get this guy. I'm trading a first and the DJ Moore was just kind of like a shuffling of assets. And honestly, I mean, when we talked to Caleb, I said DJ Moore was probably the better dynasty asset at the time. Um, so, you know, two, two trades with kind of different I- ideologies behind them. So where was your head at at that time? It was weird because I I made the Kareem Hunt trade with no intentions of doing the DJ Moore trade. Um, like I ju- that was just a pure. I want to get an extra depth piece. Um, maybe I can have utilize one of my running backs in a different way in the future. But I had made a couple big DJ Moore offers. I don't even know if they're real offers. More just bullshitting. Like oh, I'll give you two firsts. 
but in the off season and Caleb never wanted to move him. And after trading for Kareem Hunt, I think maybe like an hour later, it was DJ Moore's name came up and I don't remember how it happened, but I was like, I want this guy. It's going to take Joel Mixon. I can just get it done without giving up any picks. I can still have Kareem Hunt in the flex spot. It'll be fine. Um, so I just went out and just did it within like a half hour. So there wasn't much thought behind it. It was basically just utilizing that extra running back way quicker than I thought I was going to. Nice. And then you have two other trades that are related that I want to talk about that happened um, a couple weeks apart. So you started by bringing in uh, Mark Andrews. Mm-hmm. You you deal a first-round pick again in that trade, your own first which is going to come up later. <laughs> um, but So you do that, and then two weeks later, the trade deadline, you and Tim have the buzzer beater, the, the exclamation point on the event by uh, you trading him George Kittle. So, mm-hmm. I mean, you bring in one tight end, you ship off the tight end. I mean, you can turn this into a bigger question about the tight end position in general or you can just talk about you know what it meant at the time with those two moves but uh where was the head at with those because you know it's been kind of brought up that the kittle move might have been counterproductive to both sides of that (laughs) trade so just take us through yeah um looking back at it there's the one trade i would take back if i could go back and not do it would be the mark andrews trade um that was just mostly just a pure panic i'm trying to think of what my who i would have been starting at tight end at that point i think it was gerald everett yeah without kittle because oj was hurt i feel like i have someone else but i think it was gerald everett so it was just pure panic i had no i mean we were in the heat of a playoff race this is in like november i'm like i need i need to just go get a tight end mark andrews will work um had to give up my next year's first to do it because I just didn't have much else. Um, so I did that. And if I would have known I would, was going to trade for Dallas Godert for George Kittle two weeks later, I would have never done it. But if I could go back and do one thing, I would undo that Mark Andrews trade. And I think the reflecting on that after the Kittle trade got done, I was like, all right, we need like a shift of focus on this team here. We got to start trying to make some moves to the future because this is just going very weird at this point yeah and well and i mean who can blame you i mean i think all of us are trying to do a similar thing which is like you want to go full send you want to win a title but you don't want to flame out and so you try to balance the the now and the later moves but um obviously coming out of that situation you know you were you were scorching and you end the season, um, you know, 11 and three, um, you know, another classic season where you just kind of dominated. Dave takes the pack five, but I mean, you were, you were going in hot. You were on a four game streak. Um, the points had dipped just a, just a tiny bit, just enough for people to, to kind of start writing you off already, which is, you know, kind of what had happened the year before as well. So, you know, you, you had Dan in the playoff game. You guys are well acquainted with each other in the postseason. So 
Um, what did that What did that game mean to you? Is this does that rivalry hold weight for you personally, or is that just a narrative that we like to pump on the podcast? Uh, that game, it honestly, it was a complete no pressure game. I I went in fully expecting to lose, like so. It was like if I can take Dan down, it'll feel really good, but. <laughs> I'm not going to expect much and kind of get myself hyped up just to be let down. So I honestly don't even remember it that much. Because <laughs> I just didn't like care really that much at all. So I think it was just, so a, it wasn't, uh, you didn't have them up on the bulletin board. No. You were just like, all right, guys go out there, give it a shot. But you know what? Oh, I don't care. So I'm already I mean, in, I'm already in the Bahamas. You do whatever yeah. you got to do. I mean that that James Franco meme, the first time thing that was le- <laughs> that I sent. That was legit how I felt. I was just didn't. I was like, yeah, Dave's all upset. He goes down. I'm like, yep, I'm here. Expected it, but I think it was just a microcosm. This season was a microcosm of how my past like four years have went, where it's like you start out high and then you get that one DAC injury that affects two of your players, and you realize how little depth you have because you've been doing god knows what with the rest of your team for how long so and you start to like be like self-reflect like it might be time to kind of just tear this down and and restart and build up that pick cupboard so at that time i had pretty much come to terms with that so i knew what i was going to try and accomplish in the off season so that game didn't really mean much to me unless Unless I was able to take Dan down, then I would have been all in on the championship. But that game didn't didn't affect me too much. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously with what you're saying, um, the writing was on the wall for what we're going to talk about next, which is where you're at right now, um, which is what appears to be the beginnings of a complete shakedown. Um, you have traded... Ezekiel Elliott, you have traded Julio Jones, who you mentioned was the the core of your dynasty team, um, and you you know you made you traded Montez Sweat, you made some other trades, and you're still very actively uh, exploring other options with some of your other guys. So, what has it been like? This is completely unfamiliar territory know, for you. It's... What is, what is this like for you? I it's a little bit surreal. I don't know. I don't even know if I have the words for it yet, but <laughs> that first like few days after, cause I did like the Julio trade, I think like two, a day later, maybe two days later, I think the Zeke was a Friday. Julio was a Sunday. That week was just weird thinking about my web team. I'm like, it's not going to be good this year. And that's strange. Like mm-hmm. what, what do I do? What do I do now? How do I how do I do what Tim did with this rebuild? And how do I do it right? But as these couple weeks have gone past, I've been able to like process it more, and now I kind of have a little bit of a plan forming. So we'll see how it how it goes. And so that's why before I mentioned that your 2022 pick was going to come back into play because that is the pick that you received for Zeke. So, with that in mind, you are locked and loaded if you so choose to completely blow the thing up and end up with the number one pick next year, potentially. Um, So, you know, just going into 2021, I mean, 
are you expecting that to be the end result? Are you expecting to have the number one overall pick? Is that what the plan entails right now? I think, I don't know if I'm going to say number one pick, but I'd say top four, I would say, is what the goal is. And when I was in the Zeke negotiations, that was kind of the reason I wanted to just get that done. I was like, no one's going to give me like a top six or top four pick this year for Zeke. So why don't I just go, I have this, this pick now. I have a player that would be great for Parker's team. Let's just go. I'll give them a really good price on it, and we'll just flip, and we can we can start that process. So, I forgot the question. <laughs> <laughs> what is the plan for twenty twenty one? Oh, yeah. Just I, I mean, I feel like you answered it basically, I, which is yeah, that so you're, you're hoping you're hoping to be bad. You want to yep. be really bad. <laughs> Yep, so yeah, when I made that trade, I knew that any other trade I make to get rid of a veteran is going to help this trade out on the back end by just making that pick a little bit better. Kind of made made a huge problem for myself with the Mark Andrews trade with this plan, so I just had to just undo it like a Band-Aid quick. It only took Zeke. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. This, uh, it, it's as weird as it is for you. It, it's as weird, I'm sure, for everybody else to see it. I mean, like I mentioned, you, you have a reputation, you are a two time champion. And, um, you know, as you kind of transition out of this latest, out of your, out of your, uh, phase of being a dominant team and, you know, you start to reset. Um, just kind of want to pick your brain a little bit more because, you know, we've had some really good perspectives on behind the curtain. We've talked to, you know, almost every team so far. And a lot of the teams that we've talked to naturally, um, being down the list, you know, they've kind of been in the position that you're entering, um, for a little while. Um, so now getting the flip side of that, as you enter, this rebuilding phase talk about what it was like to have a team that you could count on uh you know to compete for championships um and you know offer if you have any pieces of advice that you'd like to offer to you know dave or or some of the teams that are potentially just coming into this extended window of success uh what is what is your number one piece of advice to those teams Mm. That's a good question. I would say, you know, I spent this whole time talking about how, like, I did too many win-now moves, but I'd say if you're looking for that first belt, just just go for it. I mean, picks, just you can trade them because the belt, winning the belt is all that matters. So once, if you get two, like me, if you're lucky enough to do that, then you can kind of reassess. But if I didn't have one, I'm just going all out for that that one to get it. So <laughs> we, I know we rip on Dave a lot for the the wide receiver thing, but I truly, as this as the reigning, or he's going to take my Pack Five title from me. Like this next run is going to be Dave's run. I want him to go out there and and beat the Big Five, and I think he needs those to make those last few moves to get that done while he's got these these historic running back things. So that's my advice is when you, when you're there, just send it, go for it. And 
when I build my team back up and those two titles are even farther away, I'm going to be the same way again. So I love that. I love that advice. That is, and I, I'm really looking forward to talking to Dave next week um, because we're going to get to get his perspective, um, you know, as a team that we have openly criticized. And I feel like as much as we've criticized him, he has, he has really answered the call. He's been willing to, to go out. And I think that's what, that's what it takes in web is if you're not willing to sell out, you're going to be beat by somebody who is, and yeah. you know, I'm talking to you and eventually talking to Dan. I think it's, it's going to be a similar message where the, the winners are, are the ones that are willing to win is yeah. as simple as that sounds. But, um, so kind of want to go in a, in a different direction here. I want to go in a player focused direction because mm-hmm. we've, we've talked to a handful of teams about defense um, and you have the luxury right now of having the reigning defensive player of the year and the reigning defensive rookie of the year in Roquan Smith and Jeremy Chin. So what you're doing on the defensive end is clearly paying off and you know you've had dominant defenses in the past so uh i want to start with roquan specifically because i'm very interested mm-hmm. by this because i don't think we've ever seen um a trade in which an idp was the central asset in a hall mm-hmm. we saw khalil mack get traded for what was, I believe, a second and a third. And at that time, it felt like, holy crap, somebody just gave up a second-round pick for an IDP de- defensive lineman. But I think now, with the buffs and with you know the awareness that's been created, I think we're getting close to that, where mm-hmm. you know even a player like Darius Leonard, when he gets traded, it's part of a trade for Saquon Barkley. So I want to get your opinion as the team who owns the guy right now, the reigning depoy. What kind of price is that to you? What what kind of price do you hold on Roquan? And you know, not saying that you want to trade him, but if you were to trade him, what does that look like? Man, that'd be tough. I think with the scoring changes coming in and how big he was for me as far as keeping my team like afloat and respectable in the second half of the year, I'd say at least the first plus maybe another like decent pace to come with is the price I think I'd put on him. And I think that was the goal with that original trade was to kind of my defense got a little bit uh, shaken up by the expansion draft and I just wanted to kind of break down Chark. I didn't fully, I wasn't fully on board with Chark as like the next superstar, which he kind of, I think he was being valued pretty probably like top 12 wide receiver at that point. I wasn't fully on board with how high he was. So I, that looked like a prime guy. I could maybe turn into that and I wanted defense back and I wanted kind of a young guy and Roquan had a little bit of a iffy year in 2019 where his value was a little bit depressed. And the weird thing is I didn't feel great about this trade after I made it. I thought I kind of, maybe could get get more it was a little bit of a hard negotiation with riley a lot of hey can i get this instead of this but eventually i was like this i think roquan in a couple seconds is the most i'm going to get for Chark. it doesn't feel like enough but 
Roquan bounces back, and now it's like, damn, that really worked out. I could maybe do something like that again in the future. So, yeah, I'm yeah. just, I'm really, really interested to see how the IDP market shifts as we move in with the with the scoring changes. Because, I mean, obviously, we've talked about this at length with many of the owners, and everybody has their own sorts of philosophies on it. But I think, um, you know, I wouldn't be shocked to see a major defensive piece get moved for a price that reflects what an offensive player might get garner, you know, where it's mm-hmm. like a, a game changing piece, like a Roquan Smith, um, you know, gets that first plus price, um, that yeah. you have on him. So, um, the second part of the question, though, is is about the strategy of of IDPs because we, you know, we've had people come in and say, "I'm, you know, what I I like drafting them, or I haven't drafted them, but I want to, or I don't care. I'm just going to use the waiver wire." All three mm-hmm. of those things make sense, but you've kind of shown over the last four years that you have a willingness to draft IDPs, and that that was sort of you know, forward thinking back in 2017 uh, when you took two IDPs in the third round in Ruben Foster and, and Miles Garrett. Um, that was sort of unheard of at the time. And then you continued that. You took Minka the following season and then obviously Jeremy Chin last year. So you've really cashed in on those third round picks, uh, IDPs. So, um, you know, was that an intentional choice that you made dating, you know, all the way back four years ago? Um, or was that just kind of a, you know, these are names that I like, I'm going to add them, uh, and it just happens to work out. Mm-hmm. Um, I know we, we talked a little bit about this on the weekly pods, but I think that mostly was an intentional choice. I would look back on these, these other third rounders on the offense and see what they ended up. And I'm like, I could take a swing on somebody and maybe hit like a, David Johnson or Terry McLaurin, but I I think just taking these top IDPs at this point is maybe a little bit of a safer move and could maybe have a better chance of slotting into my lineup sooner. So that was the thinking as I started going into it, and that's kind of the thinking that led me to getting Jeremy Chin. Like there was a few like offensive guys after that, yeah, I could have picked. They're probably worth more after I think Chase Claypool would be one of them probably another one um but i just think the safety of that idp if you know what you're doing and you put a little bit of research into it like i knew that jeremy chin was stepping into that panthers role i think he mentioned it on one of the podcasts that i was excited about it and i was like you know what i'm just gonna go get him in with my third round pick i don't really care if someone hits a big offensive player after me i just want jeremy chin and this one worked out yeah, you you had three third round picks last year, all of which went to the defense. Mm-hmm. Uh, highlighted obviously by Chin, but you also added Willie Gay and Javon Kinlaw. Um, and now when that, you, now that I think about that, I think Claypool was on the other end. So he was. Yeah, okay. you, you you lucked out there. I was like, you didn't pass on him because I was just about to say you can definitely strike out as well. You can take a Kinlaw and drop him before the season. So. Yeah, and I mean when you look at I mean when you look at the names like around or after those picks, I mean, you know, sure there's you could say there's some upside with like a Van Jefferson, Devin Duvernay, but 
I mean, you know, Jeremy Chin was <laughs> was a, a huge piece of your squad. And I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, you're not going to hit that every time in the third round there with that, with a DB. But I mean, it just kind of goes to show that, you know, th- it can be as impactful to add a starting IDP as it is to possibly get David Johnson in the third round, you know, where it's like, you're really throwing darts at that point. Whereas defense there, it's really just starting to come off the board. And obviously Mm -hmm. that gets higher and higher every season. So, um, but it's, it is just interesting because uh, you were definitely kind of one of the, the owners on the forefront of the hashtag draft defense movement. So, yeah. And I think, like you mentioned, the waiver wire too. And I know we've talked with Caleb a bunch about, hey, you can you can grind the waivers and get some of these these Tyrell Adams characters and this Nicholas Marles, but I want to hit. I still want to hit on and have a stud kind of defense to build around, like a Roquan and Jeremy Chin, and kind of use the waiver wires to fill that out because grinding the defensive waiver wires is pretty exhausting. I mean, Tim. Just doesn't do it. So <laughs> you're like watch all these snap counts and shit. And if my my dream is to have just seven Jeremy Chins, I would prefer that over grinding the wire. Well, all, I mean, also as more and more people gain that sort of awareness, yeah, I mean, the wire is not going to be dependable if you have eight guys all going for the top IDPs in a given week. Like, you know, you're yeah. going to be missing out there. So um, I think you ha- you do have to find a balance. I think that's mm-hmm. kind of the moral of the story with, with listening to all the different ideas. You know, if you're not, you know, putting emphasis in the draft as well as keeping an eye on the wire throughout the season, I mean, you're kind of missing out on one of those two key components. But yeah, and that's, that's why... Even though the wire can work, I'm like, if you can draft Parsons, just go get him. That's one yeah. less spot that you gotta like grind with everyone to fill. So, well, perfect. You just you just got my segue for me because <laughs> we're going into the draft. We're going into the 2021 draft. That is the next stop on the web timeline, and you know we're obviously a few months away. But um, you have the ninth overall pick. It's been a, you know, that, that range, that sort of end of the first range is pretty hot again this year. Um, and there's numerous ways that you can go with it. So as it sits right now, I know that you are a mock drafter and the mock drafters outside of you have kind of honed in on a group of players, but are you willing to share where your mind is at right now with number nine? Yeah, I will share it. I'm pretty zoned in on Trevor with nine right now. I think it's it just works for my team in that spot. Aaron Rodgers is 37, only under contract with the Packers, I think, for next year for sure. And then they could maybe cut him, and then you just never know. With Rodgers, he could retire. I would not be shocked by that at all. So I think it just makes sense to just take Trevor. And I think with my rebuild now, like I mentioned before, I think it makes sense to start with these quarterbacks and wide receivers, these long-term positions, and Trevor just would be a perfectly timed pick to start this rebuild with. So that's what I'm zoned in at nine. Obviously, things could change. I would be completely prepared to make Parsons the 
top drafted defensive player ever if someone snipes me on Trevor, if Mingo trades up to eighth or some crazy shit. Ooh. <laughs> I'll hear that, Caleb? Yeah, so um, I wouldn't pass up that opportunity to just keep investing into the defense, and I'm also willing to trade down, so we'll see what happens. But I think I kind of shuffled around my picks too much last year before the actual NFL draft, so I'm <laughs> trying to avoid that until I know exactly yeah, what the board's going to look like. Let's get there. I mean, we've been grilling people for the last two months about what their draft strategy is, but it's all really going to come into clarity in a few weeks here at the draft. So, well, uh, like Caleb, and maybe even more so than Caleb, you have this platform available to you seemingly at will. Mm-hmm. You are a commissioner of the league a pod squad member, but in the guest chair, I am extending you the offer of the web megaphone and you can say whatever you'd like to me, the league or the world. The time is now Frazier. The mic is yours. Oh man. I'm going to, I'm going to disappoint people because you know what? I thought Parker and Caleb, they echoed, what I, how I feel about web. I love it. I love everyone in it. It's great. So I echo those statements and then I make just one statement for my own. I'll be back. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Oh my God. Web is, uh, it's, it's not going to be quite the same without the Frasier broken X wing flying into the hangar at, you know, (laughs) on fire, getting that third seed. But yeah, um it's you know it's a big moment for your squad and you know the future is certainly you know bright and exciting Mm -hmm. yeah that's gonna be different this year i i know i asked him about that what that what that grind is like when you're rebuilding and you don't like need to win each week and not hanging on pins and needles and how your web team is doing and i don't know if i'm gonna handle it all right so (laughs) We'll see. I'm hoping for maybe a one-year rebuild. We'll see how this goes. We'll see. Well, um, you know, I'm I'm gonna see you next week. <laughs> I see you every week, but mm-hmm. it was uh, really nice to get inside your mind, and especially now as you transition to this new era in David Wilson Batman's history. You have now uh, entered what is chapter two in the story of David Wilson Batman. So. Um, super excited to follow that and you know thanks for being an incredible guest and we'll we'll see you next week for for dave's pod yeah we'll see you thank you for standing up in the face of adversity and doing this (laughs) one-on-one interview i really appreciate you saying that this was really difficult for me (laughs) all right let's make it a great week